This episode of the Internal Comms Podcast is brought to you by the ABIC Health Check. This is a brand new free online tool for evaluating your internal comms activities. Now you've probably seen, you've probably used these online diagnostic tools before. Let's be honest, they can be a little lightweight, rather rudimentary, not always worth the effort of completing. We wanted the ABIC Health Check to be genuinely useful. So we designed it to be thorough. How does it work? The tool takes you through a series of questions in six categories. Insight and understanding, strategy and planning, channels, content, measurement, and professional development. Now, my advice is don't rush through these questions. Make time to sit down with a drink of your choice and work through your answers. You'll need a good 15 minutes. At the end, once you've entered your details, your bespoke report will land automatically in your inbox. This will give you an assessment of where you are today in terms of your internal comms activities. Plus, the report will be packed with insight, advice, and practical hints and tips for what to do next, whether you're ahead of the game or just starting out. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to abcomabcowm.co.uk forward slash health. Get a free, fresh expert assessment of your work and take your internal comms to the next level. That website address again, abcomabcowm.co.uk forward slash health. Hello and welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. Every fortnight, I sit down with leading lights from the world of communication, business and academia to tease out the smart thinking, fresh ideas and new tactics for improving workplace communication. This episode has been almost two years in the making. We've heard many times on this show about the importance of internal comms professionals getting up close and personal with the strategy of their organisation. So, for some time, I've been pondering whether we could arrange an interview with a senior internal comms practitioner and their strategy director. And what if these were two highly articulate, highly experienced professionals at the top of their game, working for an organisation, going through major change and transformation? And what's more, what if they were happy to openly reflect on the influence they have on each other and on how they manage and communicate change and perhaps even to discuss what drives them on a personal level? Well, my lovely listeners, thanks to Alana Renner and Nick Harding, we've been able to make that happen. Nick Harding is Chief People Officer, looking after people experience and corporate development at Canada Life UK. Alana Renner is Head of Communications and Engagement at Canada Life UK and reports directly to Nick. Both have had rich and varied careers, Alana in all aspects of communication at some well-known UK organisations, including the Prudential, National Savings and Investments, the Post Office, Avon and now Canada Life. Nick has had an impressive career at Canada Life, working in sales, operations, corporate development, strategy and is now leading people experience and corporate development at the organisation. A quick word about Canada Life. The company was actually founded in 1847. Today, it provides insurance and wealth management products and services in Canada, the Isle of Man, Germany, in Ireland, through Irish Life, and in the UK, where it employs around 1,500 people. We cover a lot of ground in this show. Listen out for Alana talking about moving the organisation from, in her words, PDF, to person. I love Nick's answer to the secret of his career success 
and how not being like everyone else in the room can actually be a superpower. Alana and Nick explain why they use the phrase blended rather than hybrid working. They talk about the various mechanisms they use for listening to their organisation. And Nick explains the secret to real and lasting corporate change. And that's just for starters. So let's get cracking. Here's Alana and Nick. Nick and Alana, welcome to the podcast in person as well, which is very kind of you. It's lovely to have you here. It's fantastic to be with people um, and doing this together. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Nick, let's start by understanding a bit about Canada Life UK. We've got listeners in over 50 countries for this show. I'm guessing the ones in Canada and North America probably going to know your business pretty well. But for everyone else, can you just share a little bit about the financial services you provide, where you operate, and the sort of size and scope of the operation, particularly the number of employees. I think that would really interest listeners. Delighted to. So Canada Life, it's a, a global organization. Clearly, we're, we have a big presence in Canada. We also have presence in the, in the US through Empower and Empower Retirement. And we have a European business as well, Irish Life in Ireland um, and a Germany offering as well. I'll talk a little bit about Canada Life UK. We've been here for a good number of years now. We primarily focus in on insurance in financial services, group insurance. So we work a lot with employers across the UK in providing protection and life assurance, critical illness policies to them. We're fairly well known also for providing annuities uh, across the UK. And we also have a wealth management offering, which really focuses in on uh, what we call international bonds. Uh, So we have offices in the Isle of Man, we have offices in Dublin, Mm. and we also have uh, a permanent base in Hertfordshire. We have around 1,500 colleagues across the UK operating in in those business areas, primarily out of Hertfordshire, but we also have offices in in Bristol, uh, in London, uh, in the Isle of Man, and Dublin offering that sells back into the UK. Talk to me about your route into the business. Obviously, you've got this current role as chief people officer, but you were telling me that also includes strategy. So, yeah, you can obviously mention your early pop career. I'm very happy for you (laughs) to bring that in. (laughs) Thank you, Katie. (laughs) You you start where you'd like. (laughs) For sure. Okay, I I started work at Canada Life uh, UK actually 20 years ago. I joined in, in 2000. It was on the back of a perhaps not successful music career. Perhaps we'll save that for another day. But I, <laughs> I, I came in uh, initially working in the customer service areas. I became quite fascinated about the role that we play in, in financial services with customers. It was on the back of uh, acquisition. We've done a lot of acquisition as a group in the company. And I was quite fascinated about processes, inefficient processes, ensuring that customers that we work with are treated in the right way. Perhaps on the back of a slightly broken pop career, if you like, my parents were very keen to understand where I might go. I moved into to sales and worked uh, in, in sales and marketing for a number of years. And then an opportunity came to join an accelerated leadership program across Europe um, for accountants and for actuaries, uh, neither of which I am. But I managed to persuade them that this, this, this musician from Hertfordshire may serve a role in, in Canada life. And, and I was lucky enough then to work throughout the UK. Um, I've worked in all of our offices, uh, Bristol, London, uh, the Isle of Man, Dublin, uh, and in the UK. And in the last five to 10 years, done a lot more strategic type roles. So I will often get involved in, I have got involved in acquisition, in integration of organizations, a lot of transformational change in, in, in the last few years. And Probably when I, this is when I got to learn to, 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 to meet Alana, uh, I was leading the transformation program, part of the transformation team uh, for the UK and was, was driving that, which was a lot of organizational change, looking at the operating model for the, for the business and really reshaping the organization was mm. the focus. And we needed very strong communications. We set up a communications office to derive continuity of the messages across the UK, which is when Alana came and, and worked with, with me. Around six months ago, the opportunity to lead both the strategy and the people agenda was presented to me. And 
I was appointed to the role of Chief People Officer in June last year, looking after strategy and people. I can't not ask you after that, all the roles that you've done, and it feels like you have obviously said yes to lots of opportunities as they've come along. You've gained experience, gained seniority. What's this? Hmm, I'm just simply going to ask you, what's the secret to success of having a career like that? I don't know if that's a a question you feel you can answer, but looking back on that, is there some advice you might give others who are just starting out in their career and think, my goodness me, I'd love to emulate that kind of career success or journey? Constantly curious, I would probably say in, in, in everything uh, I, I, I do. Um, I'm, I'm not one for the day-to-day, if you like. I do like to look in and make a difference. I like ambiguity. And I think that's probably not for everyone, but whatever role I did, and it wasn't necessarily financial services when I entered in, I needed to make a difference. And there, there's always an opportunity to, to be curious, to make changes in organization, to ultimately do a better job for the customer and the shareholder. And that's really driven me. Probably my wife would say, um, an obsessive personality and, 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 and lots of effort. But I was determined that regardless of not being necessarily a traditional financial colleague in this organization, um, that I could play a role and provide a different lens. And right. that's probably been the secret is always challenging that status quo, if, if you like, and being prepared to try things new and Absolutely. not be scared of that. And when you say attracted to ambiguity, are you saying that when you see something doesn't quite add up or there might be a problem, you're actually drawn towards it rather than away from it? Is I that... see it as an opportunity. Yes. Yeah. And, and that, that can be scary, but there's often the opportunity to, to figure it out, if, if you like, to learn from what the ambiguity is showing you yes. and, and, and what that scenario is showing you. And that's something that's I've always found that I'm less uncomfortable with people are more uncomfortable than I so how can I help people through that ambiguity Alana let me bring you in at this point because you've also had a very rich and varied comms career before joining Canada Life and I know you've had responsibility for both internal and external communications in some very well-known organizations so in terms of employee comms marketing media relations can you touch on some of those roles it's probably impossible to touch on all of them and just talk a little bit about what you've enjoyed most and why. Yes, indeed. Well, we won't talk about my failed pop career either, which I think maybe is something Nick and I connected on in our first interview <laughs> in this building. Um, but um, maybe a, another day for that one as well. So communications. I mean, I joined a insurance company, funnily enough, and very quickly moved to working in the city with that company um, on a transformation and change program. And communications was very, very early on in its evolution phase, really, from an internal perspective, and worked with a wonderful, wonderful communications director who, when I said to him, I don't like your communications very much, he said, well, then you do it. (laughs) So it all went from there, really. And from being that cocky 20-something, I've stayed in change, communications. I have uh, done PR, consumer PR, through to CSR, through to, you know, working in some really tough environments where change and Broadcast communications could be very tricky as well. Mm. And what do I enjoy most? I love, again, I suppose, helping make a difference, helping stakeholders connect with the organisation in the right way and helping to build the right reputation as well, whether that's internal or external. I think the, the, the same kind of approaches apply uh, in many instances. Mm. We've already talked a lot about change and transformation. And I know even before the pandemic, Canada Life UK was undergoing quite a significant change programme. Can you tell us a little bit about that transformation and what it involves? Yes, of course, uh, Katie. We've grown through a lot of acquisition in, in the UK. Right. and. 
that served us very well. But as a result, we've had a number of businesses that um, in their own right have grown and become market leaders. So our life, our group insurance business is market leading. Our annuity business is market leading. Our wealth management business, uh, uh, parts of our market leading. However, it was, um, we are also a traditional life company that have, as many of our competitors have underinvested in, in technology, mm. haven't necessarily always been the most agile when it comes to, to change and often, and it was the way that we ran our organization, probably acted in silos. So right. really the, the heart of transformation has been to create really one, one Canada life, a real opportunity to bring together one common view of our customer, one common platform for our IT infrastructure. Uh, one common voice for our colleagues into the organization. So that that's the opportunity. We have weathered well in growing some of our core product areas, and we have an opportunity to become a much stronger proposition end-to-end, really catering and looking after the, the financial life cycle for our customers. And mm. the whole driver of transformation is to really bring us closer together, to allow us to be, if you like, a companion for our customers end-to-end across the, the value chain of financial services. And that's, that's the heart of, of what we're driving here. And, and where I was leading is that, that real change to the structure of the organization to get one set of processes for finance and risk. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Okay. Bringing everything together. It's, it's interesting when you talk about breaking down silos, because I hear that phrase a lot. It's almost like organizations wish they could become greater than the sum of their parts in a way. Yeah, I think. Yeah. What role does communication play, Alana, in change and transformation? You said you've had a lot of experience of change and transformation programs. Have they found you? <laughs> or have you deliberately looked for those kinds of roles secretly? <laughs> it's such a good question. I think partly I've looked for them, certainly as I've become more experienced. Um, if you ask the 24-year-old Alana, would, is that what she was going to do? She wouldn't have known what change or transformation really was. But I think I was lucky enough to move into that kind of strategic area quite quickly on in my career. And it's certainly something I think I thrive in, in terms of helping the organisation and working with the organisation to cut through some of the complexity and to bring the sum of the parts. And I sometimes call it doing the knitting or maybe it's the weaving together <laughs> to create something that adds up and working and influencing in the businesses um, in, in different ways and with programmes that have different objectives as well. I think clarity of objective right. is really key. What are we trying to achieve? Why are we trying to achieve it? And then how are we going to achieve it? It's the plan. So there's some of the questions, I think, that, that, that we ask as communications professionals to try and help the organisation put those things together. Can I ask you a bit of a sneaky question? I've always thought that that is absolutely right. And often when we do that, we are unbeknownst to us, potentially finding gaps, missing pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that people, other people haven't necessarily seen or, or worked all the way through. So we think we're just adding clarity, but actually sometimes we're doing something even more helpful than that. Would that be fair? I think so, yes. And then I think it's about, and how do you bring that back? How do you provide that view back as well? And I think having a view and providing, uh, you know, the listening uh, mechanism for the business as well oh, right, yeah. to say, actually, we might have a gap. We've spotted a gap there. And this is a gap in people's understanding as well that we need to we need to fulfill and um, need to help people with. So I think there's there's a number of different lenses on those on those gaps. Yeah. The other thing on the flip side, Katie, I think we find sometimes is there could be lots of stuff going on. And I'm sure some of my communications colleagues from over the years, hopefully this will resonate with, but there's stuff going on that you say, I can't see how that ladders up. Oh. So why are we doing it? Yeah. So I think it works both ways. Yeah, that's a good point too. 
Nick, at the moment, as sort of chief people officer, you've got Lana, her IC team reporting into you. But as you said before that, when we, you were just looking after strategy alone, Alana was still reporting out into you. You had that communications yep. office. What was the rationale at the time for having IC6 within a, the strategy function? Quite simple, really, Katie. Is that I described that there were a number of parts of our organisation. Generally, it's driven by acquisition. So we had a, an internal communications team in Bristol, an internal communications right. team in the Isle of Man, an internal communications team in London, et cetera, et cetera. What we needed to do is if we were going to really drive a consistent message and one set of narrative to really bring the organization with us through transformation, we needed a central communications office to drive right. that. And that's where I think I did come and find you, Alana, uh, would be would be fair. Um, uh, your, your, reputation, your reputation preceded you. But um, uh, we needed to really drive the, the, the right narrative and understanding into the organization consistently. Yeah. And that was the... Um, that was the original driver for that strategy office and having yeah. communications at the heart. What's carried on and continued from that is, is really, and, and partly, and, and thank goodness, we, we'd invested in the communications team ahead of the pandemic. Right? Yes. So, and, and, and I remember Alana and I sitting daily in the boardroom in Potter's Bar pre-refurbishment, um, listening to Boris, thinking, when are we going to lock down? When are we going to lock down? Mm. And, Goodness me. And then we'd have conference calls. Do you remember then? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, to, to let the leadership know. So um, thankfully, we had, we had you know, the experience of Alana driving the communication strategy at the heart beginning of the pandemic. And mm. um, thank goodness for that. But it's actually helped us. I think it's, it's really helped us mature as an organization. And it's been interesting watching our employee colleague surveys over the last two years. And it, it may not be dissimilar in other organizations, but the the recognition of the investment in communications, internal communications, mm. has gone really, really risen um, through the organization, which is, which is credit to the team. I think people have also needed that. They've needed to hear and understand what's happening during lockdown. And we've invested in a lot more channels as well, all driven by Alana and the team. So it, 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 it couldn't have worked out actually uh, better, if you like, in yeah. terms of the, of the timing. But, but that's, what, that's why the original, they, they were the original reasons for it. Mm. the transformation, the need to bring different elements of the organisation together under one consistent narrative. Alana, there are debates always, I've heard them over the years, you know, where should internal comms report into? Is it a corporate comms function? Is it marketing? Is it strategy? Et cetera, et cetera. I'm just wondering, what are your views generally on report lines? Do they matter at the end of the day? Well, I think that I and the teams that I've worked in are probably reported in everywhere now. So direct to the chief exec, into strategy, into marketing, into HR or, or people experience, as we call it here at Canada Life. Um, and I don't know that it does really matter. And I think it's guided by what is, uh, what is it that the organisation needs to achieve and where is it best achieved from right. and with my approach is to try and work with the organisation. That means collaborating and connecting in the right ways at the right time um, and helping people see why you're asking those questions mm. uh, and what you want to achieve uh, as well. That's a really interesting point, actually, which I don't know why I'd never thought of before. But if you are an IC team reporting into, a, for example, a finance director and you would think, well, that's terribly odd. You're right. There might be a reason why for that moment in time, for that organisation, that is the best place for you to report or HR or whatever it is. So, yes, it's not just about where I would like to be reporting in as an IC person, but what's right for the organisation and what it's trying to achieve. Yeah. 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 And I think from a communications perspective, corporate, corporately, whether it's internal or external, it's the ability to have the view across the business. Right. As well. And it's, it's up to you, I think, how you make that work. But bringing all of that together yeah. to one, I think it does depend uh, in, on the business. The other fundamental I'd probably just follow up was the, the listening of the organisation as we go through significant transformation has been fundamental. And that's what the ICT under Rilana have done for us is have that finger on the pulse as to what is happening in the organisation so that we can react. And that's been really, really important. Mm. 
So spill the bean stick. Are there, is there ever a point of tension with which you're trying to achieve something strategically and, you know, I see want to go off in a different direction or are challenging in a certain way? This is where you get to sort of bear all about how it works. But does that happen? <laughs> or do you always see eye to eye? Oh, no, no. I think so. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the beauty of, 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 of the relationship is, is I can, I'm sure at times, sit in a strategic bubble and Alana, Alana will, will bring, bring, bring me back to reality of, of, of how we should be thinking and executing. So I think there, there has to be. But that's really important that we, we come at it from both angles, right? There is a strategic ambition that, that I'm, is fundamental and there is also um, you know, the, well, well, let's really think about what we have said to the organization, how the organization is feeling about that. How do we do that? Okay. Um, I'm not saying for any minute that, that that doesn't mean that the IC team have not got a strategic lens. Of course they do. But there's very healthy, I think, uh, a healthy dynamic. I would say, Alana, please, please, please comment differently between us. And yeah. Um, and and I, I think if you don't have that ability to, to be able to hold up that, that lens, I think, then um, it, it's very difficult to do your job effectively because what I'm really keen on is that we are measuring how we are doing um, and we're measuring the right things to either be able to chart progress or spot when we've got an issue. So, I think I'd say also whether this is a, a Canada Life UK issue, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but we've certainly had a very conservative approach in, in how we communicate oh. a very corporate approach. And from the get-go, that has not been um, uh, the style of our, our head of communications. <laughs> and, and it's been very healthy. I think we've come on, if you, if you were to look back a couple of years to the approach that we would take to the, the personality now that we have in our communications and that constant driver from Alana and her team to actually be more authentic and really be true to what we are doing and be less of that corporate voice stuck in the boardroom. That's, yeah. that's a big change that we've seen in the last 24 months. I think lots of people would like that, Alana. Talk to me about how you make that work then, that authenticity, bring it alive, the warmth. Is there any sort of any particular secrets of success? Okay, so there's something about being human, isn't there, within yeah. an organisation. It's, it's um, I think, particularly through the pandemic, where being human became so important. And yes. actually, if I think about Canada life and what's right at the heart of what we're here to do business for, what we're here to do for our customers, yeah. um, and uh, the role that we play through various different life stages, we've really got, a, got care at the heart of what right. we do. And yet, there was, a, there was almost a mismatch in terms of tone and approach which you felt when you walked around the floors in the days we did walk around on the floors, but yet we were being quite corporate about it. So I think it's important for people to be, to, to come through and, and, and be, be human. Yes. And perfectionists. We were all full perfectionists, but, and you've taught us to, so actually it's better just to say. You know. Yeah. There's a lot of perfectionism. Yeah. So it used to be quite difficult to sign anything else. And it, I think in the first Six months, I think I took the challenges. We we moved from PDF to person, you know, <laughs> and uh, we did that. I think you know we brought human stories in through the pandemic as well. Right. The things that people were doing for each other, but also for our customers as well. And they're the things that that that, that kind of warm you as a human being day day to day. So yeah. it was it was really about bringing that through. I think it was there. It just we amplified it. But what you're describing is lovely because it's the method and the message being the same. So the message is we care, we're human, we're there for every stage of your life. But then communicating that in a warm human way just amplifies the message. It makes it more believable, presumably. The, the big strategy question often gets asked by communicators is when to go with something. Should we wait for every T to be crossed and every I to be dotted before we can let the world know? Or is it better, actually, because things by osmosis tend to spread around organisations quite quickly, actually, is it better to say something rather than nothing, even if that thing is 
we're going in this direction. I can't tell you a lot more because we actually haven't got all the answers yet. But I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when I know more. <laughs> I don't know where you stand on that one. I think, I think certainly a couple of years ago, particularly when you're making big decisions, decisions that affect the organization, decisions that affect the people in the organization, it, it, it's very hard to not want to be a perfectionist, to try and cross every T. So that, mm-hmm. that, that, that corporate approach is, is meant with heart and you know, right. there's reason for doing it. But I think increasingly I'm, I'm learning, um, actually it's better to, to talk, better to share what we can earlier. And right. I think that certainly has been one of, the, one of the many things I'll take away from the last two years of a pandemic that the longer you say nothing, the more you can be, you know, it's better just to move, better to talk. And, yes. and, and but you know, there, there are many different scenarios, situations. I, you know, I had a situation recently where we were going through a restructure and felt like the right thing to do there was to hold back, to keep it very sterile in your communications. But actually it would have been much better in hindsight to be a bit more authentic and a bit more honest and talk a bit more quickly. Right. Okay. Okay. I've got a sort of timing question for you, Alana, as well. When do you like to be invited into the conversation about a strategic challenge? And that doesn't necessarily need to be a big change program. Anything strategic. Can you be invited in too early, I suppose, is the question. Can you be invited in too early? Um, I think, again, depends what it is and what you're trying to achieve. Um, So there are some elements. Um, I think that it's okay to be brought in midway through because uh, it will have started to form um, and you can start to input into what's happening. But then sometimes it's good to be there right at the start to be asking the awkward questions sometimes, (laughs) answering that why, what and how um, and helping to shape because I think you can influence very effectively and constructively. So, yeah, I think it's what is it that you're trying to achieve? And there are some challenges where over the years where it really has been important to be right there at the beginning. Beginning. And I can think of some great examples that I won't bore everybody with just now. But it's uh, other times you don't need to be right there at the beginning. You use the influence word and that comes up a lot with I see practitioners sort of early on, midway through their career, who would like to be seen as more influential, more as a a business advisor, I suppose, to their senior stakeholders. Is there a way that they can develop the ability to become that, to build their ability to influence? How do you do that? I know it's a tough question. It is a tough question. I mean, there is is definitely the understanding what the business challenges are, understanding what the leaders, what's in their mind, what's keeping them awake and working with them to help alleviate that, find a way through. And, you know, sometimes leaders need you to be asking those questions or there saying, how about this? How about that? And I think mostly these days, leaders are very grateful for having that support. So I would say, understand, creep around in their shoes a bit, (laughs) understand their perspective. Don't think you've always got all the answers as well, because not one size fits all. Have you ever had a leader that you've thought, my goodness me, I'm going to have to you know, dig deep to build a relationship with this person. And if you did, how did you do it? Are you, are you comfortable talking about an experience like that? Don't say me. Nick's looking at me, Karen. <laughs> don't say me. Please don't say me. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be Nick. I, I think that if you work in communications, public relations, corporate affairs type roles, you, you've probably got something in you that, that, that means you connect with people. Yes, I think you're right. So I think I find myself very lucky to have mostly worked through 20-odd years in those types of roles 
getting along with people, but taking a bit of time to try and understand. I would actually say that sometimes maybe I haven't gone in enough. Um, Sometimes I've held back. And I think you sometimes maybe you need to grapple with that and maybe get talk to somebody or get a bit of coaching and yeah. say why am I why am I feeling like that um mm. and and try and open the conversation but mostly I've got on with people um there is only one person that I can think of that that I've worked with in my career where I found it almost impossible but sometimes you've just got to say this is we're just not going to work yes. well together yes absolutely yes yeah and then you have to find out well we're, we're just going to have to do this but we're not going to work well together so yeah yeah and not dwell on it actually yeah because it's the exception that proves the rule really so you've used the phrase blended working to describe the way employees will be working in the future and that seems like a deliberate choice as opposed to hybrid working which is what I hear more often Can you talk a little bit about why you're using blended, if it is a deliberate choice of words, and the sort of comms approach you've taken to kind of establish new working practices across the organisation? We chose blended because it feels more connected, I think. Over the two years of the pandemic, we took the opportunity to refresh, redesign a couple of our office buildings. We'd not finished the programme yet. But we have enabled those buildings to be a blended workspace, as Mm. it were. So we've removed offices. There are no offices. Nobody has an office anymore in these two buildings. We have put in collaboration areas where we're encouraging teams to work together across functions, giving them the space to do it. We've teams enabled our, what were offices and are now small meeting rooms so that people can actually work virtually and fit and in person together. So I think that's where blended more than hybrid has, has derived from. I'm, I'm just looking to Nick to see if he wants to add to that, but it was not as black and white as either or. Mm. And I have to say, we are still opening up we're in a test and learn scenario. Mm. We're rolling out a piece of work at the moment where we're asking colleagues to come in, talk about our purpose and our direction of travel for the business in the long term. We're putting a heavy emphasis on asking people to come into the office to do that because we believe that's better Mm. if we do it together in Mm. person. And it's a great opportunity to connect people across teams as well. So we haven't gone black and white on this. We're very much in listening and learning. I like it. I support that entirely. I think it's been fundamental that we don't dictate ways of working and we really learn and listen and Mm. understand how we want to work as an organisation. And we have to respect and trust our colleagues to to work that out. There are many colleagues that have benefited from, from working from home there are colleagues too that, that really miss working in the office. And I'd really like us to get to a place, and we're, we're so lucky that we've, we've had the opportunity to do this refurbishment program um, over the last year and a half, that we have a brand new office with new ways of working that feels far more inclusive. Uh, mm. But we really want to, to, to understand how to best use the working environment. And I don't think we've been in a position, anyone's been in a position yet, to fully understand what that looks like because we're only just moving into whatever normal new normal mm. might be so mm. to blend it i think is a lovely choice of words because hybrid feels a bit more up and down left and right if you like whereas blended is this this could be a complement how we want to work and can mean so many different things and that's what we want as alana says it needs to be a watching brief we need to understand how the organization learns how do we really connect as an organization in a new world we might have to make revisions as we go. Mm. But let, let's let's be as open to this as we can as we go on that journey. Mm. Do you foresee any particular challenges as we head further into 2022? And this does become, it's not going away, as you say. This is going to be the way we work, I imagine, going forward. Are there any particular challenges you, you can foresee? Um, and maybe you're experiencing yourself by running your teams in a blended way. I think... It's so hard when you've adapted to 
Teams environment, uh, yeah. Zoom or whatever, these constant meetings to then mm. come into the office only to realize that you're sat in a, a meeting room all, all day on your own. You know, th- these are live challenges that we need to learn through. Technology is going to be fundamental yeah. to allowing. But I think we just, for me, it's been let's not move too quickly so that we put people off. And you're right. Okay. You, you need to almost go slowly and bring people in. Otherwise, they can come in for a day, realize that they're going to be in the middle of the room and the technology doesn't work on their own and they go home again. So, Because I, yeah. I, I do think it's fundamental that you have that connection in an organization, that you have the face-to-face time to really come together. But we need to work that out and, and bring that in, in in a way that works for everyone. Certainly, our, our, our recruitment strategy has changed over the last two yeah. years. We're bringing in people from a far wider pool across the UK than we would have done previously. You know, when are people going to want to be in the office? How are they going to work? All of those considerations mm. need to flow out a little bit. Mm. It's a great time to be uh, a chief people officer and, and really work <laughs> through these different challenges, actually. Yeah, I can imagine. The I mean, ambiguity. The, yeah, but there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ambiguity. I mean, the question I suppose I get asked, and I don't have a good answer for it, and it's unfair, therefore, for me to ask it to you, is culture in particular. You know, how do you develop a strong culture when people are essentially most of the time sitting in their spare rooms or at the kitchen table. I don't know if I can give you an answer other than in a very different way, we've learned to connect in yeah. new ways. And um, so there's all these things that we can take from the way we've been the past two years that we have to take into the new world. Yes. That culturally, you know, we are being more accepting of people's flexibility to work to take their kids to school to take time out yes. to go to the gym that's wonderful yes. we should we should keep that and at the same time that that connectivity in person is missing so that that's why blended is such a wonderful word here actually we yes. need to bring bring the two together to really understand our yeah our culture going forward yeah yeah i think that's right i mean one of the concerns that i think more than just canada life has is about how do we make sure we're not excluding people by having a, bland, a blended working approach as well? Because there is something that we think about when it comes to visibility and presenteeism and those water cooler moments that you mm. get when you're in a building scenario mm. or the fact that you can sit near somebody and just shout over and say, what's the answer to that? Plus, you're in, when you're in an office environment, you're picking up things that are going on around you, which which you don't get when you're sat in, exactly. at your table in your yeah. kitchen, yeah. dogs barking. I don't think we know the complete answer, but we're we're really working on trying to, to, to bring that both in-person and virtual piece together. Just out of curiosity, has listening and new feedback mechanisms played a role in trying to get under the skin of that? Or do you, do you have good listening and feedback mechanisms already that you're using? When we started out on the journey of reimagining our workspace, which is the programme as we called it, we did reach out to colleagues mm. to say, if you could imagine... Oh, nice. ...being in a world where you don't have to be in five days a week, you know, what would it be? how often do you think you would want to be in that physical environment? Now, that was a little while ago. And at that point in time, it was two to three days. Now, now still, it's two to three days. I think we've moved on a little bit from that in that, is it a whole two to three days is the question now. Yes. Um, because, because we can work from home too. So I'm not sure if this answers the question really, Katie, but we have listened we do continue to have dialogue. This morning, we have an employee consultation forum. So this morning, we were we were asking them questions about where people, oh, nice. what questions they're getting, what feedback they're getting. We haven't formalised to the point where we're, we're saying every quarter we're going to do a listening exercise. What we have done through the two, two and a half years is when we have wanted to ask a question yeah. or when we felt actually, we're getting some signs here. We need to ask the question. Then we would go to the organisation. Did you set up the employee consultation group or was that already established? That was established. So that, yeah, that was set up for um, the transformation programme. Yeah, given the significance of the changes that we were making, we set up the consultation forum to to consult with as we mm. went through that. But it, 
fantastically become a great place to really understand feedback in the organization and how people are thinking. So it's something that we continue with now. Do people volunteer to be part of it? They do. It's completely voluntary. Um, and they can be elected in to be part of that. Wow. How often do you, do they meet? We met this morning, actually. Right. Uh, oh. We're normally every month. We right. get together and discuss a wide range of topics. Uh, yeah. And it can be um, quite informal, as it was. Right. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Now, I've noticed that you've had at least three new senior appointments recently. I think maybe some more. But since we spoke, Alana, a few months ago, you've got a new chief executive, new chief operating officer, new finance director. And am I right in saying they're all women? Is this true? We're, we're delighted to welcome in um, and appoint uh, Lindsay Ricks as our new chief executive officer in August last year. And we also have a new chief operating officer, Caroline Dibbs, who started in November, I believe. And we have a new CFO joining us in oh. April uh, uh, this year, uh, Stuart Robinson. Right. And I think I'm the other new appointment to yes. Yes, the course. executive table. It's a new team and a new, uh, a new chapter of kind of like... Um, life if you like uh, yeah. and it's been wonderful to onboard and, and communicate and work with Lindsay um, and uh, Alana's led that uh, as we bring her into the organization um, mm. and that's been an opportunity actually because some of the channels that we've used are, are very new to how we would have done things previously oh. but I'd let Alana talk about that. We have adopted Yammer so in which is part of the Microsoft suite and I know that lots of people listening to this will have done that and had various experiences well, I think we were a little bit we have no idea how this is going to go and it has gone amazingly well um so uh, you know it, it is the channel we can guarantee we can get eyeballs on that's been it's new, it's fairly new to us and uh, seems to be working well. And we have a small number of communities that, that are set up, including our colleague-led groups. So our ethnicity network, um, our sustainability group, they're using that, uh, those channels very well. Also, we did some stuff that you might have done in person back in the day and introduced coffee and chats with no agenda, completely agenda-free. <laughs> with Lindsay, with Caroline, um, and others are starting to do those as well. So it's basically grab a coffee, whether you have to make it yourself at home or you can have one in the office and we just sit around and chat. That's another way of listening. It's an informal Absolutely. way of listening. It, it's um, really powerful, I think. Yeah. Nick, do you have any sort of tried and tested approaches that you use when you're building a relationship with a new senior colleague let's say or stakeholder however you want to describe it tried and tested i'm 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 not sure katie I, it was really important that as as the the key strategist to the uk and, and now people officer that i developed that relationship with the ceo i think yeah you know, the that, that relationship is, is is a really important one mm. understand you know perspective that i could have it was a challenge because we were in a lockdown situation. Yes. Uh, yes. But, but no, I think um, we've, we've adapted t time, openness, transparency has been mm. really important. Um, mm. for, for, for me, I think I had a fundamental role to provide some of the, the background as to why as, as we move into transformation. And that allows and Lindsay to be a guiding hand in it, where we go to um, in terms of what next. So I just think I'm, I'm, Personally, I'm a very open and honest individual. Um, Canada Life in the UK isn't a political company. That's right. one of the reasons I, uh, I'm still here 20 years on, um, is that there is authenticity in this organisation and honesty. Mm. And that's a really important part of, of any organisation for me personally, mm. uh, that mm. you can trust those that are working with you. Alana, when we spoke last, you were talking about becoming a truly responsible business and that being a real imperative for the organisation. Why is that? And what are the first steps on the journey to you becoming more responsible? Well, this is uh, something that, is, that I'm truly passionate about and something that we are working on uh, with focus um, in Canada Life. It's an imperative for the business. Well, I think we've all got a responsibility, whether that's a personal responsibility mm. as an individual mm. on your day-to-day -day responsibility as a citizen. Yes. 
But as a business, we've also got a massive responsibility and businesses can make a big difference. Absolutely. And they are going to make one of the biggest differences, aren't they? Let's, yeah. let's stand back from this. We're not, you know, I won't get political, but so I think that's why it's important. Mm. And particularly through, through a business such as ours, where what we do helps people mm. have better futures, secures better futures. Mm. And there is a responsibility for us for this business for the long term. And it, it's mm. something we want to do. Right. Are there, are there any particular programmes or initiatives you're kicking off right now? Are you in the design phase of that? But what does it what does it look like in practice? It's really interesting because we've got a lot of passion running through from colleague-led groups. Right. Okay. So I, I, I mentioned our ethnicity network. They're an amazing bunch of colleagues who are really working with us and we support them to right. a certain extent yes, to bring through diversity, to bring through inclusion, to bring through dialogue, to work with the organisation to make it a better place. That's really amazing. We have a sustainability group who have done that. And I think where, we, where we're at at the moment is putting all of those pieces of the great work together Mm. and pulling it into driving it strategically with purpose mm. and for the long term of mm. the, you know good of the business our communities and and you know our colleagues as well mm. yeah it's interesting to step back a little bit from this business and look more generally and you're right we don't need to get deeply political I mean every year the Edelman Trust Barometer I don't know if you know that big PR survey of trust I think it's 33,000 people they interview trust and credibility of institutions like governments, the media, business in general is through the floor. But people are now hoping for and wanting CEOs in particular and their own employer to step up. And they're more likely to trust them to do what's right, their employer to do what's right. I don't know if you've got any reflections on this, Nick, about whether that actually puts businesses in, a, in the spotlight to do the right thing more than anything else. Well, it's probably a couple of angles. I, I take on this, Katie. I, the, the first picks up on, on a point that Alana made is we both work in financial services um, for a reason. Mm. We believe in the, the, the role of financial advice, in the financial security and the role that we as an organization play in that. And, and, and that's fundamental. And, and, and there's more we can do. That, you know, I, I do worry about People in later life, I do worry about financial security. I think, I think this is, these are issues that, that, that are just waiting to happen and what right. can we do to help that? So that, that, that for me is fundamental. I think there's a real, real opportunity as an organization to be at the front foot in how some, some of the next generations coming through are thinking about their financial security in the future and, and that we play that role. The second is absolutely as a, as a business, we have a fundamental role in society and Certainly for Canada Life UK, there is more we can do. There is, and, and we are challenging ourselves hard, both as a UK organisation, but as a global organisation, as to what we can do to be more a responsible business. The third area, I'd say, is, is as well as all of that, if we're going to be an attractive employer and we're going to attract talent into the organisation, this is a must-do. This is, this is, you right. know, this is, you know it, it's, it's more demanding than ever for employers to attract talent, to retain talent and to develop talent. And particularly, I think for some of the younger generations that are so, what is the organization's purpose? What is the organization's mission? Mm. How, how are we doing that? And, 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 and that's really driving us to, to mm. think. Yeah, absolutely. It's all part of the employee experience and why someone absolutely. would want to join and stay, basically. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that, that's fundamental, isn't it, to, to, to bis all businesses, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I think we're seeing lots of surveys where CEO, you know, number one priority is, is attracting them. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, I think listeners would love a, if you don't mind, a little peek inside the mind of a business strategist. Can you tell us a little bit about what might be commonly misunderstood about crafting and implementing business strategy or, and or conversely, what maybe the keys to success are? I'm not sure if it's misunderstood, but I would say, you know, there are many strategists around 
it's all about whether we can execute. And okay. um, I, I may pick up on another question that you would have around what are the key to delivering and, and lasting change into an organization? And I don't think it's, you know, I think it's critical during a time of change for the engagement of the organization to understanding why you were doing what you were doing. And I will refer to John Cotter and influencing yes. change. It's, it's true today as it was 15 years ago when I first read it, uh, the yeah. need to really make it clear as to why you were doing what you were doing. Yeah. So to get the buy-in to, to, to drive in that, to really bringing people around you that you trust, the guiding coalition, I think John That's was referring to, and the need for consistent engagement. And the piece I think that we forget sometimes, and, and Anna is very good at reminding me, celebrate the small wins. Uh, As you're, you know, looking to deliver strategy and you go through that, make sure you, you, you come back to those small wins and, and, and keep going and celebrate the successes as you yeah. go through that journey. Those are the proof points, aren't they? They, they are. The things that maintain momentum. Yeah. So let's end on a really critical question before we get to those quick fire questions, if you've got time for them. I'm guessing all, you know, senior HR people at the moment are facing some major challenges. If there are, I hope there are, plenty of IC folk listening at the moment and they want to better support their HR or talent people, stakeholders, Alana, Nick, any advice you would give listeners at the moment to sort of better support those stakeholders? Some of the key challenges uh, for the HR functions at the moment are all around the environment that we're in. They've been driven by, you know, what is the future of workspace? And what does that mean? And that's going to be fundamental. It's not going anywhere. We need to work it through. Mm. And certainly, you know, our internal communications and engagement function are heavily involved in helping us understand that and to drive that. I'd say the war of talent, you know, the, the mm. great resignation, what is happening, yeah. it's a real, you know, there's a, such an important, pivotal role to play to really engage with our colleagues across the organization to understand, because I think people can move so easily now. Mm. You have to almost embed a culture into an organization in a very new way. Mm. And I think the role of internal communications is fundamental in doing that. Mm. I'm going to change the question for you slightly, Alana, because you and I have worked with each other for a long time over many, many years. I knew, I, you probably can't remember how many IC folk have reported into you over all those years, but it's a lot. This is another tough question, but I can't not ask you it. Of the people you've seen over your career, at all levels and all experiences and all different types, is there certain traits, attributes, characteristics of those I see folk who have sort of progressed and those that haven't? And that's a really tough question, but we're getting down to the nitty gritty. And I, I, I don't know, do you feel able to answer that question? So I think that the most successful are those who have sought to understand what they're trying to achieve, what, what the business is trying to achieve. And that's a bit of a repeat of my answer previously. But I think that's fundamentally true. Yes. And bringing the human an authentic touch through is really important. Not being scared to have a bit of fun <laughs> along yes. the way. And also, there's something about planning and delivering. Right, okay. Because we can all, we can all talk a good game in communication, so we've got to be able to plan and deliver as well. And then respond. If it isn't working, respond. Don't keep ploughing on ahead. Right. Okay. So adapt. And and when you talk about deliver, it's exactly what Nick's just said. You can have a great strategy, but if you can't actually deliver it, it's it's not a great strategy, is it? It's only on paper. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's ask you these quick fire questions if you've got time for them. What do you both wish you'd known when you first started out in your careers? I think I have to say a bit of advice would be patience. <laughs> you were gone home. I I think I I think it's patience and and listen 
Because sometimes when you're in your 20s, you think, you think you've got all the answers. I think I did on occasion. I have to say, I look back and I go, Ooh, there are some moments where I thought, ah, you know, I'm lucky to have survived that one. Um, so yeah, patience, listening. And um, I think the other thing is that work with a mix of people. Don't work with everybody that's like you mm. because you're going to learn much more, much, much more if you're working with different perspectives, different people, different styles and experiences. Yeah, I like it. If I look back, I guess I would try and give myself that reassurance that it's okay to be different. And okay. so it, it, it touches, I think, a little on what Alana was saying as a, as a young individual that had, had, had come up through music entering into financial services i spent a lot of time questioning why am i here and it's not about necessarily the organization you work for it's what you bring to the organization mm -hmm. and i think we are in a better place now with with recognizing the diversity and the importance of diversity of of views and talent around a table um and i probably should have worried less at that point i found i was constantly fighting a battle if you like to do i belong yeah, mm. um, which may have driven me, to be fair, to to keep going. Um, but but um, so so I wouldn't I wouldn't change that. But I just think it's it's we all have a role and we all bring something different, and that's okay. And and believe in yourself. It's interesting because when you were speaking earlier and you were talking about your career and you not being an actuary, for example, or an asset manager, it almost seemed like your perspective, you were using that as a bit of a secret weapon because you were actually looking at things through a different lens to everybody else. Yeah. No, so I, I think... Absolutely. And I think, you know, whatever route we take coming into to organisations and, you know, whether it's through university or whatever other aspect, I think it's all relevant and mm. use that to your advantage and have faith in that. Yeah, I like mm. it. I like mm. it a lot. Mm. So what... Uh, so Nick, first, what book? It could be anything. It could be a website report. It could be if people sometimes mention films. What would you recommend all internal comms people should see or read to better understand business and business strategy? I'd, I'd go back to the book I've referenced. Yes. Uh, I would go back to John Cotter. It, it's, you know, it's a book that's been around, but it has core principles, fundamental principles of leading change in an organisation. And even if you just read through the nine principles of that, Mm -hmm. change model I would um I'd recommend that it's read perfect thank you Alana something that all I see folks should read to better understand communications to kill a mockingbird oh <laughs> there, there is I, I've said it a couple of times I think it's about creeping around in people's shoes and understanding their perspectives but also read that book and learn from it that everything that there are different perspectives and there are ways to challenge and there are ways to change. I've read it a number of different times with different lenses and at different points in my life. There's always something new and relevant in it. And I, and I believe that that's helped me. Nice, nice. And I'm going to come back and said, I said nine steps is eight steps. And <laughs> now I feel like a complete fool. But uh, it's but still not, as relevant as You're that. not an actuary though, are you? Well, I think <laughs> there you go. It's a nice circular <laughs> argument. Here goes. Thanks, Alana. <laughs> so finally in this show, we give all our guests a billboard, a bit of a metaphorical billboard for millions to see. And you can write on that any message. You can literally put anything on that billboard you like. So what are you going to put on your billboards? Might be a bit cliche. Listen more, speak less. Nice. Maybe I'd, I'd go cliche as well, but uh, at a time of when we're leading change, is being the change that you're that you're trying to lead. So yeah. holding yourself accountable and leading by that example. No, yeah, guys, thank you so much for appearing on the Internal Comms Podcast. Thank you. Thank Great. You. Thank you. <laughs> So listeners, that is a wrap for another episode of the Internal Comms Podcast. For the show notes and the full transcript, head over to our website, abcomabcowm.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You'll find this episode there, plus all our previous ones too. If you did enjoy the show, 
I would be mightily grateful if you could give us a review on Apple Podcasts or just a few star ratings. It would just help other IC pros find this show. Still to come on the Internal Comms Podcast, we have some great guests for you. We have experts in appreciative inquiry who are going to advise us on how to have more meaningful conversations with our colleagues, stakeholders, and our audiences. And back by popular demand, those IC trainers, coaches, and consultants, Sue Dewhurst and Liam Fitzpatrick. It was a very popular show in one of our early seasons. They're back to talk about the second edition of their brilliant book, Successful Employee Communications. So you may want to hit that subscribe button today. All that remains is to say thank you. Thank you to you for choosing this show and to everyone who reaches out to me on Twitter and LinkedIn to say how much you're enjoying this podcast. I love getting your feedback and I do try to respond to every comment. I'd also like to thank my producer, John Phillips, our sound engineer, Stuart Rolls, and my wonderful colleagues at AB for all the support they give the show. All that remains, lovely listeners, is to say stay safe and well. And remember, it's what's inside that counts.